Um, I don't know about you, but whenever um, I'm about to try and launch into something new, uh, if I sense God saying to me to, um, uh, to serve him in a way that I haven't before, usually before I go to speak somewhere or anything like that, and it'll apply in your circumstances differently to mine, uh, but I, I have often objections. I have often doubts and questions about my ability, uh, about whether I can do it, about whether I'm hearing God right, um, and whether it's going to go well or whether it's going to go badly. And uh, it's funny, however long, uh, for me, I've been serving Jesus, um, it's the same stuff um, that keeps coming up. Um, and uh, I've been uh, encouraged uh, to discover that I'm not alone. Um, and uh, Moses um, is a, a classic example of someone who did that. And we're in uh, Exodus chapters three and four, if you want to follow to make sure I'm not making this up. Um, and uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, Moses uh, was, was born at a time when uh, the people of, of Israel, uh, they'd come under Joseph to Egypt and uh, a generation raised, were raised up that didn't know Joseph and they were threatened by the people of Israel and they enslaved them. And uh, the Pharaoh wanted to uh, put to death um, uh, the, 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 the children. And uh, Moses miraculously uh, was saved and he ended up actually, even though he was a Hebrew child, being brought up in Pharaoh's palace as a prince in Israel. But he was brought up by his mum, who was a Hebrew, um, and she would tell him about the story of his people. So he would hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the way God had led them. And yet at the same time, he was brought up um, in, as a prince in Egypt with all the culture, with all the education uh, of Egypt and with all the privileges that a prince would have. So basically, Moses was brought up with a foot in one life and another foot in another life. And he was kind of living two lives. He was a Hebrew, but his people were slaves. And he was brought up as, as it were, a prince in Egypt. And that is a hard thing for anyone to do, um, especially Christians, when we have a foot in both camps, when we, we've, we, we live two lives at the same time. And for Moses, it was a, a dilemma um, that, 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 that did him in, really, in one sense. Uh, one day he was walking along and he saw uh, an Egyptian slave driver beating up a Hebrew slave and he lost his temper and he got angry and he killed the Egyptian. And he was discovered, to cut a long story short. And he ended up fleeing into the desert of Midian where he spent 40 years. Now imagine if you've been brought up in luxury and you come to adulthood in luxury and then suddenly, because of something you do, because of a mistake maybe you make, you find yourself in a wilderness and not just for a, a day or two. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually going at the end of November, I'm going to speak at a camp, um, a youth camp, um, literally camping um, in uh, Abu Dhabi, in the desert. 
And I'm like thinking, how am I going to cope? How am I going to cope with that? But it's literally a few days in the desert and apparently they promise that the one I'll be in will be a luxury tent. And I'm still nervous. But there was Moses, he was 40 years in the wilderness, much of which was in isolation. And then he married and, uh, and he started looking after cattle. But 40 years away from the life he had grown up with. And then at the end of 40 years, this happened. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now just a little word here about Horeb, the mountain of God. It had two names. It was called Horeb, Mount Horeb, and it was also called Mount Sinai. And for ages it confused me because there's one place in the Old Testament where it says that Moses received the commandments on Mount Horeb and another place where it says he received them on Mount Sinai. And it was only recently I discovered that they're two names for the same mountain. It's the same thing. A bit like the Sea of Galilee, that's the Jewish name for, for that piece of water. Um, the, um, the Roman name is the Sea of Tiberias after the Emperor Tiberius, and um, the uh, Aramaic name is um, the Lake of Gennesaret. And so it's one lake, it's, it's three names. And so that's what was happening here. So he came to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, and it's called the mountain of God simply because if you follow the Old Testament regularly, God encountered his people here. He's about to encounter Moses, We'll read later on, he encounters all of Israel on this mountain. Later on, it's on top of Mount Horeb um, that, that um, uh, Elijah uh, meets God in the gentle whisper, the still small voice. And there are a number of other examples. So, there on the Mount of God, Mount Horeb, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And do you know, if the Lord had appeared to Moses years earlier in Cairo with all the lights at a burning bush, I think Moses would have probably walked on. He would have been distracted. And sometimes God has to take us out of our comfort zone. He has to take us from the place where there's, there's lots going on and he puts us for a season into a wilderness, into a desert time, so that we begin to notice him when he appears. And I wonder how many times he's, he's come to me and I never noticed. Someone once said 80% of the prophetic is simply paying attention. And, uh, and so Moses he noticed, and it says, um, he, he stepped aside. Uh, he'd, got, he'd, he'd gone to have a look. And it wasn't unusual um, that bushes in the desert, in the, in the heat, would catch fire. That wasn't unusual. What was unusual was this was on fire, and it didn't burn up. And the thing about fire, it's one of the symbols of God. It's one of the symbols of the Spirit of God. Uh, when the fire comes, it means God has come, and God specifically in his holiness. 
Fire speaks of the holiness of God. Fire burns up the dross. And so there was this bush that intrigued him that was on fire, but it didn't burn up. What's the significance of this? I think there is a significance to this. That God came in his holiness and he is holy, but in his grace, the bush didn't burn up. And so often in the church, we have churches that are focused on holiness sometimes and at the expense of grace and churches that focus on grace at the expense of holiness and both are unbalanced. Either you get a rigid legalism or you get an anything goes kind of Christianity. And when Moses encountered God, it was in his holiness and his grace. That's how he moved then. That's how he moves today. He does not change. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord commissions him. And he says, I've seen the misery of my people. I have not forgotten them. I've seen them enslaved. I've seen the way they've been treated. And I am called, and I'm paraphrasing here, I am calling you, Moses, to go back to Egypt after 40 years. Now, I don't know about you, but even, do you remember lockdown? How can we forget it wasn't 40 years. That first lockdown was a few months. And I don't know you, but for me, after a few months, I, I, I felt a bit weird meeting other people. After a few months, it was like, oh, I'm getting used to the safety and the security of my house and my garden. And, and, you know, when we first came back together, didn't it seem a bit strange? Well, that's after a few months. This was 40 years. And he says, go back to the place. Go back to the place where you were banished. Go back to the place that's dangerous for you. Go back to the place where they tried to kill you. The place where you made a terrible mistake. Now that in itself is scary. Who wants to go back? to a place that leaves a bad taste in the mouth, unless God tells you. And God said to him, I'm going to call you to go back and to confront Pharaoh. And you know how powerful he is because you lived in his house. You know exactly what goes on there. And you're going to speak to him and lead my people out of their captivity. Then Moses has five objections. Five. I think it's, I, this comforts me because Moses, Moses talks back to God in his holiness and he says, I'm not sure about this and he keeps on, five objections and all five I have known. I'm gonna go through them quickly now and, um, and how God responds. The first one is, who am I? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Do you know, when you've been in isolation for 40 years, 
you lose a bit of confidence, don't you? I mean, isolation for three months and we lost a bit of confidence. Who am I? And he, when he was asking is, it's, it's, I can't do this. You've seen the last 40 years of my life. You've seen what happened when I was in Egypt. I, I'd rather be here now. I don't want to go back. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm feeling insecure, when I'm feeling like I, I, I just don't, I'm just not sure of myself, I might ask someone, who am I? Tell me, who am I that I should be involved in this church? Who am I? What if, what if I'm not up to much and someone comes along and takes over from me? <laughs> who am I? Who am I? I'm, and the reason I ask that question is because I'm hoping that the person will say, oh, come on, Mike. You're not so bad. You are a, a bit of a fashion icon. You are, you've got this gift and that gift. I'm hoping that they'll say that. When Moses said to God, who am I? Do you know how God answered? Listen, listen, this is hilarious. He says, I will be with you. Now, if I was Mo, I would have said at that point, thank you, Lord. That is a very nice sentiment. That's very nice of you to say, but that's not actually the answer to my question. Let me see if I can rephrase the question for you and make it easier. The question was along the lines of, who am I? The Lord doesn't answer Moses' question because Mo is asking the wrong question. The question wasn't, shouldn't be who am I? It was what the second question was, which is, who are you? And God says, it doesn't matter who you are in the sense of it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter about your ability, your looks, your personality, your charm or anything. What matters is whether I go with you. And I'm telling you, I will. I'm not sending you on your own. I'll never send you on your own. I'll always go with you when I call you somewhere. I'll always be there. And so the first part of the answer is, I'll go with you. In God's version of democracy, one person plus God is always a majority. Always. I won't make any comments about the next election. But then there's the second part of the answer. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when I first read that, I thought, great. Moses gets a sign. That means before I do anything that I think God's telling me, he'll, he's got to give me a sign. Just listen to the sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain with them. I mean, I would have said, what is the point of a sign after I've done it? I need the flipping sign before. I need that there's no point afterwards. But that's the whole point with God's dealings with us. If he gave us big signs all the time beforehand, there'd be no place for faith. There'd be no place for trust. And for some reason, God utterly, utterly loves faith. Again and again and again, we see it. Why? Because 
Faith comes from being secure, being secure in the love of the one you have faith in. Have you ever seen a little kid, a little kid jumping off a sofa at full pelt, absolutely certain that daddy is going to catch him or her, even though daddy is looking the other way. They're absolutely certain that they're going to be caught. And we're not talking about reckless faith like that. We're talking about a faith in a person who is trustworthy. And God loves it when we trust him. When he calls us and he sends us out, whatever it might be, in your place of work, at the school gates, to, to go and talk to someone, to serve someone, what, to move house, whatever it might be. He loves, he loves that place where I'm doing this in trust of you. I'm not going to stay where it's become comfortable because I believe you've told me. Now, now here's the point about, um, when, this is the sign. How does it assign that afterwards He's going to worship on the mountain with the people of Israel. Well, we find out in Exodus um, chapters 19 and 20, because Moses goes back to Egypt. The people come, he leads them out of their captivity and they end up back in Mount Horeb. Listen to this. This is at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Because the Lord descended on it with fire. Do you see what the sign was? Moses is there at the burning bush on Mount Horeb, the bush with the fire that doesn't burn up. And then God says, this will be the sign. When you've done it, you're going to be with my people in Mount Horeb and the fire is going to come down again, but not burn you up. My holiness will meet with you, but will not burn you up. And just like I'm speaking to you, Moses, at the burning bush in Mount Horeb. So I'm going to speak to Israel. And if you read chapter 20, he speaks and the commandments are given. That's the sign. Why a sign after? It's, it's an affirmation of your faith rather than, uh, than um, uh, making, giving you faith. So for example, you know, if I was giving you directions to my house, I would say you go up Leggett's Way and then you turn left and then you do this and then you go there and then you'll know my house, I'll say, you'll know my house by the smell of wonderful Greek food when you get there. That will be the sign to you that you have arrived. And the Lord says, That'll be, and can you imagine Moses when the fire comes down on Mount Horeb with the people and he speaks? You know, it'd be like, ah, oh, 
now I get it. I had no idea what you were doing, what you were saying. The number of times I have been there, the number of times God has said something to us and we haven't understood it. And then afterwards, after we've been obedient, we think, ah, that was it. That's exactly what happened to Mo. So who am I? We're going to have to speed up because I've got four minutes, 36 seconds left for the next four. The next one is um, (laughs) Moses asks, who are you? Which is a better question. What is your name? Um, And uh, uh, where where is it? Yeah. Um, Moses said to God, "Um, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, doesn't that sound like he was like, you know, like when you're in a, you know, when you're in a bit of a mood with your kids, you know, why? Because I say so. Well, what, what shall I tell them your name is? What shall I say? I am who I am. Doesn't that sound like that? Now, That name of God, first of all, um, someone else has said this, but I love it. It, If he is I am, then that means I am not. And that's a relief. That's a flip. Isn't that a flipping relief? If he is I am, that means I am not. And I don't have to try to be. And there's an element of mystery in our relationship with God. This side of heaven We will never fully understand him. We will never fully understand his ways. There is an element of, oh my goodness, there's always more of you to know. I've known him since before I was 16. And all the time, I'm just amazed. Another little glimpse I get of him that I never saw before. That's the first part of his answer. But then he says... God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And when he says the Lord, it's Yahweh. It's the, the, the Lord, this is my name. This is my name. So my name is I am, but my name is also the Yahweh of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that part of the answer is, I'm a God who has a history with you. There's a, you know me. There's a story. Moses would have been brought up on the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God says, I'm Israel's God. I'm the God of history. I'm the God who you have known. And in that sense, he says, you can trust me because of your history with me. Look at my faithfulness. Look at my faithfulness to your people in the past and trust me now. Number three, what if they don't listen to me or believe me? And uh, it's in chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, and this is after God tells him a whole load more stuff. Um, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. 
Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, has appeared to you. So what's, what's the significance of that? What's the significance of that? What if they don't listen to me? What if it doesn't? What if the thing you've told me to do doesn't work? What's that you've got in your hand? How are you going to do it, Lord? What's that if you've got in your hand? A staff. It's my old staff. I've had it for years. It's a part of me. I, I prod sheep and cows with it. I, I walk along with it. It's really ordinary. It's not special. I'm going to use that ordinary thing in your life that you are so used to, that you do not think is special, and I'm going to use it to do a miracle because it's about me. And do you know what? We miss so much of what God wants to do with us because we're expecting supernatural rain to fall down from heaven and do it all for us. And we miss that God works in the ordinary. God works in the simple things. As Andy said, we've just had, we had three days hosting a whole bunch of pastors it nearly killed our dear team who worked like crazy. And then we had yesterday hosting 400 worship leaders. And, how, and it was, they were wonderful times. And what, what was it? What, what did we do that made those times so wonderful? We made coffee in our coffee machine. John and Nicola cooked meals in our kitchen. Our worship leaders sang the same songs they've been singing for years. I told the same jokes I've been telling for 35 years. And in the ordinary that we offered, God did something wonderful. God came and he blessed the ordinary. What if they don't listen to me? There, number four, I am not eloquent or gifted. Oh my goodness. Doesn't this guy ever flipping learn? Um, and um, where are we are? Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. Do you know what? Well, he says, you know, I've, I wasn't eloquent before, but right now, at this burning bush, I can hardly get the words out. <clears throat> yeah? I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Do you know, guys, this is, this is Moses' great opportunity and this is what God wants. He wants us to go out in weakness. He wants us to speak when we're not eloquent. He wants us to pray when we don't know how to. He wants us to do stuff that we're out of our depths. Why? Why? Because then we can rely on him. 
then we can trust him. Then we can lean into him. When he gives us a job to do that we're more than capable of doing, there's no place for trust. Be out of your depth. When you're you're out of your depth, that's God's address. When you're at the end of your rope, that's God's address. That's where God wants to meet you. And Moses had a wonderful opportunity for an incredible intimacy with God, an incredible intimacy of, of, Lord, I, I can't speak, but you said you'd give me the words, go on, we're here, we're in front of Pharaoh, oh, help me. Oh, you did. Lord, I love you. Lord, you're so close to me. Lord, I wouldn't want anything else but this intimacy with you in my weakness. So, we come to Moses' final question. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) I mean, it's a comedy, isn't it? It is a flipping comedy. Isn't that just like you? It's not like me, of course. No, isn't that just like us, isn't it? Please send someone else. And it was like, Moses, you could have said that right at the beginning. God's had to go through all of this stuff and then in the end you're saying, I'm not going. And it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Why did his anger burn against Moses? I think it was just such a, a disappointment and a sadness. If God can be disappointed, I don't know. But a sadness. Moses, you had the opportunity. I told you everything. I would go with you. I would be with you. I would give you the words to speak. I, I would work through the ordinary thing that you're holding. And after all that, you're saying no. You're saying no to me. And do you know what the Lord does? The Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I'll help you both to speak and I'll teach you what to do. Okay, Moses, I'll send someone else, but not instead of you, with you. Moses missed God's best. But you know what God did? Even though there was a sorrow, he still was faithful. I say this in, in um, I say this with a lot of, um, what's the phrase? Reverence, thank you. I say this with reverence. God, in this sort of instance, is like a satnav. I don't know about you, but I sometimes don't believe the satnav. And the satnav says, go this way, and I know better, and I go that way. I've done that more than once. Thank you. I've done that. That, that is a sign to me that it's time to finish. And, and you know what? When I go the wrong way, the satnav doesn't say, stuff it. I'm... I'm I'm quitting, it recalculates. When we don't go God's way, he recalculates. And he gets us there in the end. 
Because when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, it says in Scripture. What happens, though, is it takes longer. And a journey takes 40 years with Israel in the wilderness that if they'd walked in a straight line would have taken 11 days. But he recalculates because he doesn't give up on us. And the sadness is he took Aaron and they did it together. And when Moses was up Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, talking to God, having a wonderful time, Aaron was building a golden calf that the people should worship. What a shame. What a shame. It's better to obey first. So, when God speaks, when we sense a call, we're allowed to say our objections, but then we need to listen to him as he gives his reply. The fire comes of holiness that doesn't burn us up because he's a God of grace.